Hi guys, this is Steven Slack with Soul Center Fitness, and this is the Soul Center Fitness Podcast, Episode 3. Today we have Andrew Overman, and he is a physical therapist at Hunterdon Sports and Physical Therapy. He's going to be talking with us today about obstacle course racing. We're going to cover a lot of different topics, as we always try to do. And some of those topics is going to be, obviously, his background. Um, He's got a lot of different races that he's done. But also, we're going to touch on factors and hierarchies that need to be trained in preparation for these races. So we'll touch on movement. We'll touch on different types of conditioning and strengthening that need to be obtained. And then also skill work. Um, and we'll get into details about some of these things. And it's a fun conversation. I liked having him on, and uh, it's pretty cool talking to somebody who's a physical therapist, has the knowledge, but also has done some of these high, high-intensity, long-duration races and done them successfully without injury and just kind of gleaning some knowledge based off of what I talked with him about. All right, without further delay, let's start. Hi guys, today I am uh, here with a great physical therapist and we're going to be talking a little bit about the obstacle course racing, not just that, but also all kinds of different races and and what we need to kind of prepare ourselves for them. So without further delay, I'm going to have you say your name and kind of, uh, that's basically it, your name and go from there. Go from there. Well, I appreciate being here. My name is Andrew Overman. I've been a physical therapist for 19 years. Uh, focusing primarily on orthopedic injuries, but I've worked that with the spectrum of patients, every, everyone from high school athletes to college Division One athletes, Olympic athletes, professional athletes, so I've, I've had my fair share. And personally speaking, I participated in a ton of different endurance races and obstacle courses. I've done uh, full-length marathons, uh, two full-distance Ironman races. I've done the four different race, four different distances, distances for the Spartan races. I've done Tough Mudders, so I've kind of I jump around and haven't have managed to avoid injuries so yeah. far. So, but um, that's pretty much my yeah. That's a pretty so that's a, a <laughs> I know a, a bigger laundry list than a lot of people have yes. in that that type of racing. So it's uh, these I believe these races are really physically demanding. So they are yeah. They are. I mean, actually, the the Spartan races in particular. Huh. Cover the spectrum of endurance, aerobic, anaerobic, um, yeah. core work. Um, actually, the one, the Ultra Beast Spartan Race, is a 31 mile mountain. That thing's crazy. Which was, it took, uh, <laughs> took 13 hours. 13 yes. hours. Yeah. I, you know what? I actually think I was running my beast the same time you were running your That's ultra. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking, I can't imagine going <laughs> for another loop here. I, I would just physically break down. It was funny. It was something. It, it, you touched on a really important point there. Like I, I've never done anything besides the Spartans, but you mentioned how you think the Spartans have a good combination of all the, those kind of capacity things of like anaerobic, mm-hmm. aerobic. Uh, you're touching on all ty- different kinds of bursting here, climbing here, all different kinds of movements. Uh, did you feel that you had to specifically prepare for them? I, will, I was lucky with, especially with the Ultra Beast, because it was right in the midst of my training for the Ironman race. Yeah. So when with the Ironman races, I had a uh, six-month 
training program. Okay. It essentially, involved cross training. So you're training for cycling, you're training for swimming, you're training for running. like a triathlon type. Exactly. Thing. Okay. Triathlon. It's just it's the longest distance. Oh, okay. That's crazy. And um, and just in addition to that kind of training, I've always been wanting to do a lot of like circuit cross training, strengthening exercises. Yep. So it was kind of the perfect combination of both. Yeah. So I didn't specifically train for the Spartan race. Yep. But the work I was doing for the Ironman race, in addition to just the basic weekly strength training that I do, yeah, melded well into yeah. So you're being able to do it. Basically, having that strength that you were doing separately, the strength mm-hmm. training you were doing separately, plus the intense amount of conditioning work you needed to do for the Ironman, was a good combination. It was. It yeah. was. And I think too, the anaerobic component of like Spartan races, for instance, yeah. require a lot more isolated strength. Okay. So getting into, you know, isolating different body parts, getting into a lot of like core stability work. Okay, yeah. But also kind of a, an endurance-based approach to that strengthening. So I've always felt like the traditional gym workouts where you're, you're isolating each body part, mm-hmm. while you might look good <laughs> at the beach, it doesn't necessarily transfer to a functional strength. Yeah. And all those endurance races from triathlons, Ironman races, Spartan races, Tough Mudders, they're all much more functionally based. Yeah. So I even look at the people who really succeed and do well in those races. They don't, you know, they don't look like bodybuilders. They don't look like you know, yeah. the strongest guy out there, but they're just lean and functionally sound. So, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Kind of the, uh, their body looks it's like an athlete. Yes. Instead of like bulky mass, just exactly. kind of randomly here and there. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I wanted to kind of touch on, uh, another point kind of uh getting into the nitty-gritty of these details of these physical capacity things that are required for these races for instance i kind of have like a hierarchy here when i'm training people for these races where i focus first on movement Mm -hmm. as the kind of like if you're thinking of a pyramid as the foundational piece of that pyramid and that's going to have mobility stability and coordination Mm -hmm. and then once they kind of pass that they're going to go into conditioning one where i have primarily aerobic and then strength endurance Mm -hmm. and then i go into conditioning two where there's anaerobic that burst that we were talking about um, and also uh, the intermediate uh, energy system and then also max strength and power Mm -hmm. still kind of talking about that bursty kind of stuff just more on the strength side and then last i add in skill work right Uh, and you know this i feel like there could be variations here and there when you put things where but that foundation of movement is kind of central. What are your thoughts? Uh, what do you think is most important out of all of these? And what are your thoughts on these? It's, I would actually agree with your, your outline and kind of the hierarchy you've given them. I think oftentimes people don't give the concept of mobility and coordination the appropriate amount of attention. Yeah. And it tends to be such a critical component. I think the mobility aspect, especially in avoiding injuries or decreasing the chance of injuries, mobility and general coordination are kind of the foundation of, of that yeah. in general. And I see it a lot in patients, both athletes and kind of the weekend warriors alike. It's, it's the mobility concept, the flexibility stuff that tends to be left on the sideline because yeah. huh. it's, it's, more, it's not as exciting. You don't see, you don't <laughs> yeah. necessarily look any different. So people tend, and myself included, it's the last thing on your list. Yeah. feel like events, activities like those big endurance races, it plays probably one of the bigger roles in not only completing them, but being able to successfully go through all of the different obstacles and activities, because your body really needs to be able to move 
in so many different ways yeah. compared to just one isolated event like marathon running for instance it's yep. just it's you're doing the same movement and you're just spending two, three, four, five hours. Yeah. It. it seems like, do you feel like in your practice you kind of need to twist people's arm to do the mobility homework and to kind of focus on that as a major part of their workouts? Or Initially, I think it takes some convincing when when it's introduced. Yeah. And I see it with a lot of, you see it with a lot of people who are seem to be or look very strong or they're very active. Yeah. And they come in kind of perplexed as to why they have certain injuries or, or ailments mm-hmm. or aches in general but one of my kind of lines that I throw out is this is going to be boring you're going to feel like this is a waste of your time give it a chance to see how it feels and it's surprising because people the movements the activities aren't necessarily challenging in a physical exertion sense yeah but people start to realize when you isolate certain planes of movement how restricted they are how stiff how tight certain muscles are not only that they often quickly see the result or feel the results and like, God, I feel better. Like, this isn't hurting as much or I notice I can do this now. Yeah. Without huh. having to kind of beat themselves up to get there. So initially, I think it's dismissed a little bit like, right, this is too easy. I should be doing more. And I say that to patients. I want you to say to yourself, yeah. this is too easy. Let's do more as opposed to, oh my God, this is exhausting. Yeah. That's what tends to be yield the best results. It's that kind of slow controlled movements that force the body into positions it's not typically used to. It gives the body a chance to adapt. Yes. And yeah, and progress naturally mm-hmm. rather than like forcing it into that. Right. Yeah. And that also that oftentimes leads to improved overall strength, improved efficiency, decreased overall exertion. So yeah. you have greater sustainability in those events because the body is moving more efficiently as opposed to that kind of restricted tight. Yeah. Hypomobile. Sort of like akin to like a car, you know, being out of alignment or exactly. you know, any inefficient movement. There's gonna be grinding, there's gonna yep. be wear and tear that happens quicker if you're not efficiently moving you don't have that Very mobility yeah uh, so like another component here like for you specifically do you feel like you spent a lot of time on that aerobic uh that conditioning one aerobic and endurance strength or do you feel like i guess for each individual they're going to be good at one component maybe over another right i think it, you have to you have to kind of prioritize how you want to perform or what your goals are yeah based on that it will kind of direct you to in greater focus on the endurance aspect. Okay. Focus on the burst of speed or, or the particular events or, or like isolated strength movements. So, whereas, for instance, the Ironman training for me, it was all based on aerobic, prolonged activity. Okay. Training. Yeah. I mean, rarely, and I, going into it, I'd never done one. So, I sort of had this anxiety about how exhausted I would be. And what you find with those kind of races is at no time should you ever be physically out of breath. It's more the body's just tolerance to sustain the activity. So you were never, it didn't feel like you were doing sprints. You yep. didn't feel like you were You never touch on that anaerobic. Rarely. Okay. In the training, there, there are periods of time that you do that, but mm-hmm. it's a small, small percentage of the overall training. Huh, that's very Whereas interesting. Spartan races, <laughs> I was doing, in addition to the Ironman training, my strength training approach was based more on like a circuit program. So okay. it was aerobic based with anaerobic components, but bursts of, bursts of activity that force you into that anaerobic exhausted out of breath. So you're trying to balance that because the Spartan races, for instance, require both. You've got yeah. To be able to last for long periods of time. You have to be able to burst for a long period right. of time, basically. Right. Yeah. So, so I think it, it really comes down to what your what your goal is. I yeah. Some people going back into certain events they want to do very well in 
particular obstacles. Like I didn't do this last time. I want to make sure I can do it this time. Yep. And that's where the activity specific training comes into play. Yeah. As opposed to a time-based component where they say, all right, I, I want to beat three hours this time. But yeah. in the Spartan races too, if you don't complete an obstacle, you're doing more burpees. So yep. it's going to take you longer. So, so there's yeah. like, yeah, there's that extra conditioning and mm-hmm. all that stuff to, to factor in. Right. It's so interesting when I train some of my clients for these races, you know, specifically the Spartan races, I'm doing an energy system kind of training because I'm only seeing them one hour, maybe two hours a week. So I kind of have them doing their aerobic on their own, but then I'll do this where I touch on the, you know, there's three different types of energy systems. There's that alactic, there's the glycolytic. Right. And then you got your aerobic system. So I'll touch on all three of those throughout the workout, starting with the most, um, the one that causes the most calorie burn, which is that oh, okay. alactic. And then I'll work my way down. But just kind of thinking about that when you said that, yes, yeah, Spartan races are, it's a rare combination of anaerobic yeah. and aerobic. That's like, it's pretty aggressive on the body. It is, it is. And yeah. it depends on how aggressive you, you yeah. approach it too. Yep. I mean, it, people take their time. Some people try to sprint through it. So yep, yeah, and I tried to sprint through mine, and I fell apart halfway through. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite prepared for that. But one of the things that happened with you, if I recall, yours was based more on like calorie expenditure and what you're taking in. Exactly, which yeah. is crucial. People have not, and I never had any idea until I did the Ironman races how critical the calorie intake. Yep. Plays a role. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really, as a trainer, I should have probably known better, but I thought I was superhuman. Well, <laughs> we're similar personalities. It's like, ah, just, yeah, just throw myself just, into this. Just push through it. And it, it crushes you. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. Ironman races are known to be challenging in that regard because oftentimes people don't know how their bodies will essentially behave that day. I see. In and digesting and basically utilizing the calories. So, how you're taking in your calories then plays in a role. Like what yeah. kind of foods, simple digestive foods versus like complex carbs. It, that is, it seems like a whole other podcast oh, right there. It is. Uh, so <laughs> different things you could touch on there. And it seems very di- like very complex because for each individual, it's, it's different, different as well. Person. Yeah. Um, I'm going to touch on another point now. I want to kind of get into the nitty gritty of each one of these things I mentioned. I, I talked about how you know movement. We touched a little bit on movement, but let's get into a detail of okay for the running pattern or for running in and of itself. What kind of mobility is necessary? Let's say for the ankle. So I mean, typically, if we think about it in the simplest form, running. It's sort of a repeated movement going in one direction, which is like a flexion, a bending and straight. Yeah, for the yeah. Most part. I mean, the ankle is multi-directional, but for the most part, it's the bending it up and down. The, the yeah, yeah. Flexion or plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. Dorsiflexion. Knee similar, uh, knee flexion extension, and then hip flexion extension. Yeah. But it's what I often see with where people run into problems. There, there can be some stiffness in the ankles or some muscle tightness, but oftentimes there can be a decreased mobility in the hips and the back. The low back area okay. can cause problems because, as we talked about, if the back and the, if the spine is stiff and it's not moving as well as it should from the standpoint of rotation and okay. extension, if that's restricted, then it's going to put more stress through the hips and inherently more stress through the knees, through the ankles. So okay. a very, person can be running and have, say, ankle pain, and the cause of the ankle pain isn't necessarily a restriction at the ankle. Okay. coming from lack of mobility in the hips, lack of mobility in the back. So yeah. when I'm working with patients and we have any kind of presentation of a lower extremity problem, we'll always look at the back and the hips. Hip might not be extending as much as it needs to, hmm. so it's increasing the stress through 
the knees, you can have knee pain. Yeah. So that's where mobility, not just, and I always say this to patients, it's not just a muscle flexibility issue, it's also a joint mobility issue. So we've got- Yeah, that's crucial. It's crucial, yeah. and, they, and they're complementary to one another. Yep. So you can have a muscle that's perfectly flexible, but if the area, the joint proximal to it isn't mobile, as mobile as It will stiffen up. Huh. It will stiffen up. Yeah. And conversely, you can have a really mobile area, an area that's as mobile as it needs to be, mm. but if the muscles are really tight and they're not allowing movement, it's going to increase the stress on the joint. Yeah. So, so it becomes an interesting kind of dynamic back and forth of much. what came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. Which is yeah. why you want to essentially address the two of them and make sure they're both moving efficiently. Yeah. As mobile as they need to. Yep. Yeah. So having that, and, and I think for the common, you know, OCR athlete, uh, you you kind of have to go in. Uh, you have to have to get a knowledge of this because you're yeah. putting your body through so much tension mm-hmm. and so much stress that if you don't have a good concept of how to approach the joint and also how to approach the muscle, uh, you're only have half the story. Or right. if you're not addressing either one, then you're really something's uh, going to be missing. Yeah, something's going to be yeah. missing. Uh, so then talking about that's interesting with the mobility now for we, we already touched a little bit about the conditioning and stuff like that how uh, I feel like I, I remember listening to this Russian uh, you know, one of these Russian and condition guys and uh-huh. he was talking about how that aerobic is the foundation of everything even your anaerobic system you have to okay. have a, 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 an awesome aerobic and it kind of touches on what you said where you were doing a lot of aerobic stuff for the Ironman, but, and that translated and helped you with some of that burst stuff possibly yes. for the Spartan. Even though you were doing some of that strength training circuit stuff, ultimately you had like an awesome aerobic Strong. system. Yeah, really crushing it. So with that, what about, we already kind of touched on the aerobic, what about strength endurance? The difference between max strength versus endurance. Well, I think with events like this, the the endurance-based strength yeah. is going to play a bigger role than the max strength. Because also, I feel like the max strength concept lends itself to less efficiency overall. So it, it's kind of a one-and-done yep. kind of output, so to speak. Yeah. Whereas training and being prepared for events like we're talking about. It's all repeated motion. It's all okay. repeated activities. Yeah, yeah. And sustained over time. Yeah. And it's switching. It's different activities, but on a repeated basis. So if you don't have that endurance-based strength, yep. then essentially you'll probably wear out sooner than you prefer. Yeah. So I, that, to- that makes total sense. I, I think the one thing I missed that I realized I missed was stability. Yes. And stability of the joints. I touched on the mobility. I can't believe I skipped right by that because I feel like that's just as crucial as, as the mobility part of it. Being able to control your joints yeah. and have that same amount of, uh, you know, because I think injury is caused by both not having that range of motion, both in your joint and muscles, but then also not being able to control maybe a new range right. of motion or hypermobility and mm-hmm. things like that. And I feel like, I mean, that's actually a critical point too. In my, in my train of thought, that falls into the, that core stability or that, that core strength okay. concept where it's, and I say this with patients all the time, that core strength is the ability of the body, your dynamic core strength. So the ability of your body to control and support itself oh, while okay. going through certain Yes, movements. yes, yes. And that, your core, so when we think about that, I say we refer to the core as one thing, but it's really 
a group of muscles that are working in a coordinated fashion to support your spine and inherently the rest of your body. Yes. So you can have great isolated strength. And I always say you can see, you know, look at a bodybuilder who's got great muscle definition. Yep. He's got the biceps, got, got everything. Yeah. But he or she could have poor core stability because those muscles might, in an isolated fashion, be strong yep. and have good endurance, but they might not work well as a unit. So ah, they don't yeah. control well. So again, core stability falls into the category of getting having decent isolated muscle strength, but more importantly, having those muscles work well together. So the training for that comes down to more combined movements, like functional movements. Okay, so yeah. You're controlling certain positions all the while, going through different movements, in order to get those muscles to work more efficiently and control certain positions. That's really interesting. So like thinking about it this way, so if, if you're working dynamic stability, let's say, um, I guess you could do something like a split squat, but mm -hmm. could we now make it a way to make it harder and more dynamic stability? Would, would you say maybe making it like a single leg balance mm -hmm. to now a reverse lunge up and down into that? So now there's now the limiting factor is your balance. And Absolutely. Is that a way to do that? Mm -hmm. Or for instance, even taking a simple squat. Okay. A floor squat and having somebody stand on a bozo ball. Oh, okay. So yeah. You've, you've eliminated the stability of the surface. Yep. And they have to control and maintain a certain position to avoid falling over while going through the squat movement. Yeah, so that's really interesting because I know a lot of times the, the trainers will be like, oh, that's unnecessary. You don't need to have that BOSU ball. But what you're saying basically is that that will start to train those muscles to coordinate together. Very much. Better, though, better than a normal squat. Absolutely. Would. Yeah. Absolutely. Because then you, you, there's no way to compensate. Yeah. The body can't compensate. You're going to fall. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, and I work with athletes all the time if you get on a wobble board. Yeah. So a bozo ball is like multi-directional yeah. instability. But a wobble board is going to go side to side. Just side to side. Okay. And we have tremendous athletes come in, and they'll try to do a squat on a wobble board, and their legs will be pistoning back and forth. Yeah. They can't stabilize them yeah. into a position. And, it, and that's more a neuromuscular control okay. concept as opposed to like an isolated strength. Yeah. And that's sort of another category of core stability. It's, it's a neuromuscular, it's a coordination strength as opposed to an isolated strength. Yeah, so that's it, that, another interesting point there is, again, kind of tying it into what trainers uh, like to do and what they don't like to do. I know a lot of times when they're training people, they're thinking, you know, let's just keep, you know, we're going to go heavy on our squat. Right. We're going to go do, and that's beneficial. That's the max strength we we're talking about. That's some of that endurance strength we we're talking about. But if we don't train that dynamic stability as well, on top of it, it's all intentionality in your training, you should probably touch on all of those. You should. Yeah. I mean, that's how you would, maximize the benefit and your, your overall strength. Yeah. But again, sometimes, depending on what the person's goals are, I mean, if, if the goal is looking good in the mirror, yeah, yeah. If you have your own squats, you're gonna, you'll see a bigger difference yeah. than if you do high volume bozo squats. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So you're exactly. not gonna get as much bulk, muscle exactly. bulk from exactly. that, yeah. So, it, but again, for uh, being a human, you wanna be able to kind of touch on, and for specifically for us, in this purpose of talking about OCR athletes, yes. it, they, need, they need that dynamic stability. There's, they're running downhill, yeah. there's rocks right. and right. all kinds of stuff. So critical, critical. I mean, if choosing one over the other, the dynamic stability kind of squats, for example, yeah. versus the heavy squats. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, awesome. So now, like last, did you do a lot of, uh, do you feel like you need a lot of max strength? Do you feel like you needed a lot of power? No. no. Okay. I mean, not necessarily, I shouldn't say, personally speaking, that's, I wasn't looking for that. 
in a way it can be of benefit, but most of those races are designed with an endurance-based... Yeah, the foundation, foundation is endurance, okay. So, again, you get the strongest, the guy that can do the heaviest squat, he might look big and intimidating, but yep. he's probably going to be behind the uh, behind most people with the events because yeah. he just can't keep up from the endurance standpoint. So I wouldn't say, in my experience, personally and just professionally speaking, it's not something I'd recommend. Yeah. When training for that kind, for those kind of for those kind of events, yeah, I, I guess like for me when I'm training people, I'll dabble with it like maybe once or twice a year. Be a bad thing. Yeah, so that I can just see that they're getting stronger and right. then pull it back and go into the major things, and it also kind of gives them a break from a lot of the repetition of the endurance based exercise, yeah. which is key too. I mean that variety too, keeping things different. Yeah. If you want to say it like that so that the body doesn't get accustomed to the same thing yeah. because again there's so many changes and so many variables in those races your body and the muscles they need to be able to adapt and adjust quickly so yeah that's awesome so yeah changing up to it again throwing in a max squat here and there for example certainly wouldn't be a detriment no as long as again like we talked about as long as those foundational things are there movement Right. And then moving up into your conditioning is rock solid, and then mm-hmm. you can start to touch on those. Now, uh, the last thing I want to add in is skill. So, where do like I know there's a lot of like there's running gurus out there and stuff like that. Spear throwers. Yeah, spear throwers. <laughs> I, I I have I've met one person who was good at that at the that's, event. Yeah, that's that's a tough. One. But uh, I I feel like for like like skill running for instance, it, I feel like it it could be thrown in the beginning of your training, but I, I know also that sometimes people get like overwhelmed with, oh, you need me to pull my leg right. and land here and lean forward, and they kind of get overwhelmed. Right. That, and that I fall into the category of keeping it as simple as possible. Okay, so, yeah. And especially, for, again, using myself as an example, we could dissect, you could dissect a person's posture, you could dissect a person's running mechanics, yeah. for example. There's not a single person you could see that we couldn't say, okay, you can adjust this, you can tweak yeah, this. Yeah, little tweaks here and there. But I agree with you in that I think sometimes we fall victim to overanalyzing. And then what a person's been doing for their entire life, if we try to change that, yeah. it can actually have the opposite effect. Okay. The person can become less efficient, they can start overthinking. And I think unless you're working to train for certain elite races or, or really focus on a particular event, in my experience, in my opinion, it's not something I focus on yeah. to try and change those mechanics, unless they're so egregiously off. Yeah, you know that there's going to be something that's going to happen right. if this doesn't get changed. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just maximizing kind of that person's body type, their flexibility to an extent, their strengths, yeah. and building off of those. Yeah. Because I think you run the risk of you're, you're going to undo a lot of it's like a Pandora's box yeah yeah. I, and I, I know I've seen it a couple of times early in my career trying to change uh, gates is such a dynamic thing mm-hmm. to change and I feel like uh, unless you're like uh, you know a beast at changing people's gate uh, like you said all of a sudden I would change little things here and there like oh I feel this and this and this right. and it's all not really the best things that they're feeling right. uh, and yeah so sometimes it's just better to make them an efficient machine and then mm-hmm. maybe naturally they'll start getting into those you know you increase their ankle range of motion mm-hmm. and now they run better yes yeah yeah. If inherently the body is going to become more efficient as yeah to trying to deliberately alter things and then force the body to catch up yeah I mean, that's where it can be. yeah I, I think it can be 
problematic also. Yeah, and so I know for myself now, I kind of, I dabble, I'm not a coach, a skill coach of any sort, so it's probably, it's not my place to really train skill. <laughs> so for me, mostly, I'm, I'm touching on skill points every once in a while and seeing if it changed their movement when I work on mobility or when I get their conditioning better and right. all Which those things. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of use it as an assessment rather than me overanalyzing and messing their whole thing up. Right. And, you and I both. Yeah. <laughs> so that's basically, is there anything else that you want to kind of bring up? But that, that's all that I have on my... Uh, no, it's funny. Not that I could think of. I think sometimes getting some books and learning like some training manuals, that's what I've done. Yeah. Without like Ironman races, if you're unfamiliar with it, getting some ideas for training. Yep. It's a nice way to give you some direction, at least get a concept of how to go about it. Yeah, yeah. I think you and I have jumped into some of those races head first without really knowing what mm, we're yeah, doing. Yeah. And the nice thing is you can always bow out of them, but yeah. if you want to try something and have your body relatively prepared, getting some, reading some books, going online, things like that. Especially that nutritional side. The nutritional yeah. side is, is gigantic. Yeah. And, but also, I think that you will learn that for yourself as you start training. If you're training kind of specific to an event, yeah. you'll start to realize what your body needs. Exactly. But before you get to the Before event. you get to it, right. Yeah. So, so you're not falling apart halfway through. Right. Yeah. And that falls in the category of it's not even about pushing through it. Your body physically shuts out. Yeah. You can't, you can't continue. Yeah. So, and it's, it's unwise. It's a humbling <laughs> experience, right, when your body does that. But, it's, it's a learning experience. Yeah, yeah. That's the cool thing about these races. I think is it really kind of t- tests the the limits of the Agreed. human. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. In, in, that's in the fun entertaining part. and fun way. So. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So as long as you approach it with a you know a relatively, if you're mindful of the things we kind of right. discussed earlier, you, you'll you'll be good. Exactly. And you'll have a fun exactly. time going exactly. into it. So awesome! Thank you so much. It was pleasure. a pleasure. We'll have to do it again with another topic. That would be great. Uh, and hopefully, I'll, I'll have better uh, a room that's quieter. <laughs> I apologize no, for that. It keeps it interesting. Yeah, it keeps it. <laughs> we have to keep it dynamic. So thank you so much, and have a great day. You too. Thanks, Steve. So it was great talking with Andy. Um, this concludes the podcast, but. It was just fun to actually talk with somebody who not only has the background scientific knowledge of how the human body works and how to train it, because he also has his background in some strength and conditioning stuff, but also uh, have him be able to do it himself. Uh, so I love talking with him. We'll try to talk to him about a couple other things related to training for some of these other um, races and other things. But um, that ends our podcast for today. This is the Soul Center Fitness Podcast, and I am Stephen Slack. Over and out.